welcome all of you with us that are joining us today, wherever you're at, wherever you get this podcast. Uh, we're going to get into Exodus 36, verse 31. We've been going through some more of this, uh, the uh, materials and the workmanship of the tabernacle. <clears throat> and uh, you might as well get that tabernacle ready. We'll probably shoot it on the screen here in a few minutes. So let's pray, and then we'll read some more of this, and then I'll share some stuff with you that I think will be beneficial to you. It says, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for all those that are with us today. We ask that your word would come alive to us and in us, that it would be a blessing to others, that it would do things inside of us, and that it would cause us to be better fishers, that we would be more equipped to share your love and truth with others. We thank you for the revelation of the tabernacle and what it's done in our lives uh, in so many ways. We ask you to bless this time we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, as we were going through this last week, we uh, see all these different materials. Let me just read a little bit more and then we'll talk about some of this. Uh, and he made bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on the side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards on the tabernacle on the far side, westward. He made the middle bar to pass through the boards from one end to the other. He overlaid the boards with gold, made their rings of gold to be holders for the bars, overlaid the bars with gold. And he made the veil of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine woven linen. It was worked with an artistic design of cherubim. He made it four pillars of acacia wood, overlaid them with gold, with their hooks of gold, cast four sockets of silver for them. He also made a screen for the tabernacle door of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver and its five pillars with the five hooks. He overlaid their capitals and their rings of gold but their five sockets were bronze. So now you're seeing all this different material used, silver, gold, bronze, the different colors of thread, uh, wood, certain wood, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and I'm going to touch on that here in just a minute. But last week we talked about how he had gifted people to do certain things, some things in the natural even that he had. And we don't always, because the church has this tendency to be like the church in Corinth in America. Uh, we don't always see the value in what other people do, maybe that's not out in the open in public ministry. But God created all of us with gifts and talents, and, uh, and He made us a certain way. So those gifts, we can't boast in because He really made us that way. So we don't want to find ourselves boasting I mean, how are you going to impress God with something when He's the one that made you that way, right? So we want to make sure that we stay humble uh, in all that we do. So let me read a little more, and then we'll come back to these uh, materials. Then Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits was its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. He overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside and made the molding of gold all around it. He cast his four rings of gold to be set in the four corners, Two rings on one side and two rings on the other side of it. A couple of things I want to remind you of. We talked about already probably, but this is a long book. They're making this according to the pattern in heaven. So there's something like this going on in heaven. 
Moses is given the pattern of something that's already been designed. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say something. I hope it don't come off controversial, but I want to be clear. We, we really understand little about holiness in the modern church. But you're not going to get in heaven and run up to God and slap Him high five. That ain't how this works. <laughs> no. We've got so casual and so loose as if God's just okay with whatever. There's going to be an order. He's going to be on His throne. You're going to have to be back. It's a whole, he's a holy God. You're not just going to run in and throw your weight around. And so this stuff's made according to that pattern. And it's designed to show us Jesus, His work here in the earth. It's designed, as we've used it a lot, to show us how we approach God and, and have, that, uh, have a relationship and prayer time with Him. It's designed to uh, teach us about our own nature as man and how, that, uh, and how the, the priest was, had to go behind the veil with blood. That's the only way to get into the presence. It's designed to show us the humanity of Christ, all that. So and the, and these and these rings on these pieces of furniture. This we're talking about the ark here, but all these pieces of furniture that are in the tabernacle had rings on because they were to bear them. Right? They couldn't. When David tried to get the ark back, he put it on a cart with a bunch of oxen and Uzzah or Yuza, however you want to say that, your way, my way, and the right way. He tried to steady the ark because he thought it was going to fall off. He died because he touched the ark, which was not allowed. Even if, it was, even if his intentions were good, he still wasn't allowed to touch it, right? And uh, so he died that day, but he died because they were not following instruction. They were supposed to be carrying that ark with the staves that they designed, put through those rings, and it was supposed to be borne on the priest's shoulders that's how they moved it. And so they decided David got in a hurry and the priest should have instructed him. There's probably a whole lot that went on there. The priest should have stepped up and said, hey, this, we can't do it this way. We've got to bring it in this way. But for whatever reason, everybody was probably excited. <clears throat> right? Just because you and I are excited, I'm going to say something here now. <laughs> Just because you and I are excited and have good intentions does not re remove us from the obligation to do it according to God's Word. Well, they didn't mean to. Well, doggone it. Can I say that? Yes. <laughs> they should have read up. Ignorance is not an excuse. When you read Acts chapter 17, he don't, he don't wink at ignorance no more. We're supposed to know some stuff. And so... Well, they meant well, and they didn't know. Well, you know, at what point should they have known, right? See, that's where we're not qualified to judge. But when somebody stands before God, and they say, well, maybe their, part of their excuse might be, well, I didn't know. And God may say, yeah, but I tried to let you know for 36 years. And you turned a deaf ear to me every time I was trying to talk to you. And down in the other church, there was a, uh, one of the guys down there is a computer genius, and he, 
he works uh, for a lot of different kinds. He's a water specialist and all that at the well. And he, he said the, he, he used to go fix people's computers for them before he went in other areas. But he said he went to see a guy who was a well-known sinner, right? Everybody knew how good of a sinner he was. And uh, he said he'd fixed his computer and he tried to tell him about Jesus. And the guy said, I don't, I don't want to hear none of that stuff. Just fix my computer, you know, basically. And um, so he said a couple of weeks later, he called him back. And <clears throat> he said, so here's my chance to do some more fishing, right? So he works on his computer, tries to tell him about Jesus. This is a well-known, wealthy, high up in the echelon of the community. And he says, I, I want to try to tell him about Jesus again. And he said, I don't want to hear none of that stuff. Just fix it. And he said, the third time he went back over there, the guy said, you're not fixing my computer. He said, yeah, I'm fixing your computer. He said, you just won't let me tell you about Jesus. And that's why the Lord keeps sending me over here to tell you about the Lord. He died two weeks later. Now, what do you think the Lord's going to tell him? He's going to say, I sent one of my boys over there three weeks in a row because I knew I'm the one that numbers your days. I knew you were getting ready to leave. And I sent one of my sons over there to talk to you and you refused to listen to him. So that's the stuff we don't know, right? We don't know what God... But God and like I've been saying, I feel this so strongly. You all, we all know how, how assertive or how much God has worked in our lives when we've, before we knew Him, when we kind of took a sabbatical away from Him, right? We know how persistent He is with us, right? He just keeps coming. Well, He's done the same thing over here at the bar. Those people aren't getting, He's after them. He's after them. And our prayers assist in that. And we have a role to play in that. When He opens the door, we're supposed to walk through it. But He's after them. He don't love us anymore than He loves them. He said, he said it's not His will that any would perish. So that means any. So if you, if you could just look in the mirror and know how long-suffering God was in your own life, you know these other people. So that's why I say people ain't as dumb as they let on. God's after them. He's showing them just like He sent Jesse. Most of you have heard me talk about it. He sent Jesse to this guy three times within a month span right before he left there. And I, I, we all grew up in there, and we knew this guy was a lawyer and everything. But, but God knows, right? He knows if, uh, when our days are at. And so He's after us. Think about that. If I, 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 I wouldn't do this, and I don't have the time to tell you all the, cra the stuff and wouldn't do this anyway that, that, in, that was involved in that circle. But to think that God sent one of His servants... In the last few weeks of a guy who, had, who didn't even want anything to do with God. And God still was after him. That's amazing. That's amazing love, really, isn't it? I mean, that kind of love is really hard to comprehend. Because, you know, it's hard for us to move beyond. If somebody turns us away one, two, three times, you know, we're getting a little bit gun-shy about going back, right? But here comes the Holy Spirit over and over and over. I mean, it's just awesome the way God loves us. It says, he, uh, so they put the poles and the rings on the sides of the ark. In verse, well, I skipped a verse, didn't I? Verse 4 says, He made the poles of the case he would, overlaid them with gold, 
And he put the poles into the rings of the sides of the ark to bear the ark. He also made the mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits was its length and a cubit and a half its width. He made two cherubim of beaten gold. These, he made the one piece of two ends of mercy seat and one cherubim on the other side and the other cherubim on the other end of the side. And he made the cherubim at the two ends of the one piece of the mercy seat. The cherubim spread their wings above and covered the mercy seat with their wings. They faced one another. The, the faces of the cherubim were toward the mercy seat. So when Jesus was resurrected, that, that's where they poured the blood out on the mercy seat, right? Because inside the ark was the law and everything that had condemned us. And God covered that with blood, right? And he first covered it with the deity of his son and, his, and the blood. All that typifying Christ, of course. And then when they went into that empty tomb that day, guess what they saw? They saw two angels, one on each end, and there's a bloodstained garment. That's our mercy seat. That empty tomb is our mercy seat because Paul, anybody feeling that besides me? I'm feeling it all the way down. Uh, that's our mercy seat because Paul said, if he's not risen, our hope's in vain. So this, this was a picture of what was to come. And when they walked in, the Bible's very, you know, the Bible don't give us every detail about everything that's ever happened. But it's very clear about letting us see that, right? Angels, two angels in that bloodstained garment. Just like the mercy seat in the Old Testament, but greater. Right? That's our, that's our mercy seat that God would send His Son and He would die in our place and that He would come out of that grave. That is the gospel. Amen. So he made the table, uh, the table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold, made a molding of gold all around it. He made a frame of uh, hand breath all around it. He made a molding of gold of the frame all around it, the showbread. He cast it four rings of gold and put the rings of four corners that were, there's those at its four legs so they could carry this piece of furniture as well. The rings were closed to the frame, holders of the poles to bear the table that he made the poles of acacia wood to bear the table and overlaid them with gold. He made the pure gold to the utensils uh, which were in the table, its dishes, its cups, its bowls, and its pitchers for pouring. He also made the lampstand of pure gold. Uh, this is another piece of furniture. Hammered work with the lampstand, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and its flowers were of the same piece. So it was all molded together. And the six branches came up outside the, the sides, these three branches of the lampstand out of one side, three branches of the lampstand on the other side, and there were the bowls made, it, made like almond blossoms. They were the first tree to blossom in Israel, and so it's the beginnings, the, the new beginnings. The ornamental knob of the flower, these three bowls of these almond blossoms on the branch with the ornamental knob of the flower. And so for the six branches coming out of the lampstand and on the lampstand itself, were full, four bowls made like almond blossoms, each with its own. So that made seven. Had three on each side and the, the trunk in the middle. Ornamental knob and flowing. Of course, we know what God thinks about the number seven, right? Uh, the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit's represented by the menorah. Jesus is also represented as the light of the world there that never goes dark. There's a knob under the first two branches the same, a knob under the second two branches the same, a knob under the third two branches the same, a knob, and the six branches extending from it. So you've got the middle knob, middle branch or trunk, and then the three on each side. Knobs and their branches were of one piece, all of one hammered piece of gold. Think about that. 
and he made it seven lamps and its wicks, trimmers, and its trays of pure gold, of the talent of pure gold, he made it and its utensils. And so if you, if you read the psalm, it says, those who stand in the house of the Lord by night, they, these, this was kept burning continually, right? You know about the miracle of Hanukkah and all that. These were kept burning continually. And there was a prodder. One of the priests kept everybody awake in the tabernacle on third shift. He, he would prod them and keep them awake make sure, because they had to stay attentive, right? And that was their shift. And they worked in shifts. They had shift work for the tabernacle. We're going to come back to all this in a minute. He made the incense altar of acacia wood. Its length was its uh, cubit and its width a cubit. It was a square. Its two cubits was its height. Its horns were of the piece with it. He overlaid it with pure gold. Its top, its sides, around its horns. He also made for a molding of gold all around it. And he made two rings of gold for under it the moldings by its two corners on both sides as holders for the poles which were to bear it. And he made the poles of acacia wood, overlaid them with pure gold. So you can go ahead and shoot that tabernacle model up. Let me, let me read the last verse. He also made the holy anointing oil and pure incense of sweet spices according to the work of the perfumer. So we've seen, we've seen this a lot that we use. So this is what we were talking about today. We're talking about this altar and the showbread and the menorah and we talked about the ark, and we've talked about all these pieces of furniture over time. So the first thing you want to see, we use this as our prayer journey, and I've got so much stuff that I'm probably going to teach on this on a Sunday again pretty soon because we've got a lot of new folks, and we'll make sure everybody's spending time with the Lord. But anyway, uh, so these are made of wood and overlaid with gold, which speaks of Christ's humanity and deity. When he came to earth, he was human, right? He took on human nature, but he was God in the flesh, Emmanuel. So you have an unusual setting there. You've got the humanity that he took on like we have. He left heaven, but he, you're also talking about God in the flesh, the only begotten son. So that speaks to that. It speaks to his humanity that he took on, also his deity. And uh, I'll read you some of these things here in just a minute, but... This is pretty obvious. You see it laid out in the form of a cross because we're, we're talking about the sun coming. You know that uh, he's, he comes in the east, right? And you know that the door's on the east and you know that the tribe of Judah is outside here in front and that's, that's uh, who Jesus came through, the tribe of Judah. And he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And all this, the Holy Spirit is represented. That's how... Uh, one of the reasons when we talk about the prayer journey, spending this time so that the Holy Spirit can get involved and then when we pray our petitions, they'll be led by the Spirit and not by our flesh, right? Because it's easy, even in prayer time, to be, but to be walking in the flesh. Just pray what you want to see happen instead of praying what the Lord, what His plan is. And that's all part of the journey, right? Staying in a place, staying crucified. This has really been coming up to me. Just, I've been thinking about this a lot. Paul said, I die daily. And I thought about that. I thought, you're probably talking about the, the best Christian that ever walked the face of the earth, the most sold-out Christian that's ever been on the face of the earth. probably Paul. I'd put him up against anybody. The, and for him to say that tells you how powerful the flesh can be. Not just us running out there and doing gross things. Just... 
putting God off. Just being lazy today. Just not wanting to fool with nothing. You know God's brought somebody to witness to you, but you don't feel like it. You know, just the flesh always likes to take the path of least resistance, right? Not taking a stand, you know. And Paul talks about how he died daily, right? And how this flesh has to be crucified. And, and so what we do in the church, and, and it's a good thing, partially, we say well, we're not going to do any of that bad stuff anymore, but then there's another layer under there, isn't there? <laughs> and then you get the next layer, and then there's another layer under there, right? You remember, some of you remember when I preached on the seven giants of the, right? You go in, they go in the promised land, these seven groups of people. And one of those names, I forget if it's the Amorites or the Hittites or one of them, it, it talks about wanting to be undisturbed. Don't bother me, man. I got my own thing going on over here. But you know, the Lord was, he was constantly praying and reaching and just doing things all the time. And so we need to make ourselves available. So uh, let me read some of these to you out of this uh, Connor. And I'll point it out up there on the, um, on the board. Uh, this is the book he wrote on the tabernacle of Moses. But he, he, writes, he writes on the tabernacle of David and also the tabernacle of uh, Solomon, and maybe another one. Um, but so the gold, I think, is pretty obvious. It represents deity. The silver that we've read about out on the outside, these rings that were made of silver, it speaks of redemption, right? Because Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. It's a, it's a redemptive thing. And then bronze speaks of judgment. If you brass, bronze, whatever. And so that first piece of furniture we were talking about here was not covered in gold like the laver and these other. It was covered in bronze because what happens when you come right in there is where the animals are slaughtered. They're, they took the judgment, quote unquote. Ultimately, you know it's about Jesus. But our sin was laid up on those animals or their sin and they didn't take away our sin. They just put it off or their sin under the Old Testament covenant. So this is judgment. Judgment's happening right here. These, uh, these precious little lambs are losing their lives right there. So there's judgment going on. Precious stones. We read about some of that with the, with the outfits of the, pre, the high priest. They represent the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, and the preciousness of God's people because he, he bore the tribes on himself, the high priest, who is a type of Christ. John and I were talking about Melchizedek just a little bit before we started. He's a, the priest of the Most High God, right? He comes out, he meets Abraham, and they have communion, right, before the law, but even before the law. And that, you know, that's one of my pet peeves is the New Testament church, just thinking communion and baptism and things like that started in the New Testament. They were going on long before that, even before the law washings and things that Israelites walk. What, what we need to see about the New Testament, even with this tabernacle, right, is we need to see what it was pointing us to about Jesus, right? Everything was designed to show us Jesus and to get us ready to receive Him. Israel and then us, Gentiles, all of us. And then the other thing is fine linen. Of course, the white fine linen, the high priest wore breeches underneath his garment to cover his nakedness and clothed with his naked, from his, uh, over his nakedness. 
And so it speaks of righteousness. It speaks of cleanliness. And then this shittle wood, I thought this was interesting, that was under some of these pieces of furniture, right? And then they were overlaid with deity. And we understand that represents Christ, humanity, and His deity. But you're talking again, you're talking about God in the flesh. Some of you have heard me say this before. Death... Jesus talked about laying his life down. In fact, he was so adamant about that. He said, no man takes my life, I lay it down. When we watch those clips of movies or read that story, we think, well, those people killed him, but he laid his life down. Death could not take the Lord. The Bible says death reigns because, or sin, death reigns because of sin. In other words, because we have sin, death has a legal claim on us. Well, you think about that with Jesus. He didn't have any sin. So they couldn't have killed him. He had to lay his life down. The Bible says he gave up the ghost, right? Listen, and I think a, a proof of that is, is on the block. The way they beat him, he, if he'd have been a normal man, if he hadn't have been God, he would have died there on that block. He bled too much. Most theologians say his back was probably shredded like hamburger meat and his organs were showing. Well, you're going to die. You, you would never put a cross on somebody's back and let them start up that hill. They would have bled out. They probably would have bled out on the block, much less with a cross on their back and starting to walk up the hill and that heart just pumping that blood out of your body. But... Sin had no claim on him. He had never sinned. I, I See, that's a supernatural thing, but that's true, right? We all say, if Adam hadn't sinned, we'd be living forever. Now think about that. Jesus had to give up the ghost. He had to die. But this is uh, this, this in the Septuagint, which was the Bible, the first complete Bible, right, of Old and New Testament. Uh, and when they put that together, the, it, it uses the word in the Septuagint, incorruptible or non-decaying wood. And that represents Christ. This is a guy, when I was growing up, uh, they didn't have treated lumber, right? That's kind of a thing that's come along the last 30, 40 years. But early on, everybody that put fence posts in used locust posts because they don't rot. You can put them in the ground and they won't rot. They'll last for 30 or 40 years. And so it was kind of like God's treated lumber, you know. He, he made he, So this kind of wood was seen that way, right? It's so durable. And that's a picture of Christ, right? That's, that's another thing that we see. Um, the oil for the light. The oil is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So the menorah speaks of Christ as the light of the world. And Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit, so this oil was always staying in this menorah. Uh, it's, and it's, it gives off the light, uh, the spices, the anointing oil itself, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus also represented by the sweet smell and aroma that His sacrifice gave to the Lord. Blue, uh, blue speaks of the heavenlies. It's a color that God... Assigned to the, the atmosphere or the sky, purple, speaks of royalty. Scarlet uh, speaks of the blood and the sacrifice. And um, we, we see the goat's hair was primarily the sin offering of the Old Testament. 
So the goat's hair speaks to us as, as of sin, the ram skin. Uh, uh, was uh, dyed red. It's a sacrificial animal. Uh, and then the badger skins are not considered to be uh, precious. And there's a debate over this. I don't know if some of you have seen that, whether they were actually porpoise skins, uh, something that was waterproof to cover the... And there's... Uh, it's like the... You know, you know where it says uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter in heaven. It doesn't say it's impossible. But that particular passage there was written in Aramaic. Some, a few verses in the New Testament were originally written in Aramaic. And there's a curly cue that goes on a particular letter in Aramaic that tells you whether he's talking about a camel's hair or an actual camel. And it's a very subtle difference. And so most likely he's talking about a camel's hair there. You can't, you can't get a whole camel through the eye of a needle. But if you go back and study you'll find out that occasionally they sold with a camel's hair, right? And, but it was a lot more difficult to get that thing in the eye of a needle than it was a normal thread. And so they, that was a hardship to do that. It wasn't impossible, right? But it was a hardship. So it's just like now. It's, the rich man can get saved just like the poor man. But he has a lot more things that are in front of him trying to keep him from that. He has more... Uh, distractions, we might say. that uh, So it's not impossible for a rich man to get in the kingdom, but it's harder because there's so many other things he can trust in. And uh, so uh, it wasn't impossible to get a camel's thread in the eye of a needle, but it was a lot more difficult uh, when sewing with us. So, and I'm not preaching that as doctrine or anything. You can do that what you want to. You can toss it in the trash on the way out if you want to. But, uh, but I'm just trying to get you a point uh, to think that, you know, maybe it was porpoise skins. I don't know. I don't, I, there's no way I can really get to the bottom of that because it makes sense that they would have needed some waterproofing, but who knows. So all these things are specifically designed by God. Everything He does is, has purpose behind it. He don't, he's not like us. He don't just do things to fill in, right? <laughs> He's got purpose about everything, everything he says and does. So, Now, he made the altar of burnt offering. I'm back to chapter 38, verse 1. He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length. Five cubits its width. And that's, that's that burnt offering there, the first one we're talking about. I already mentioned that to you. He made its horns and its four corners, the horns of it, or a piece of it, and overlaid it with bronze. See, so that was, was overlaid with bronze instead of gold because it speaks of judgment. Coming in right off the bat, sacrifice. He made all the utensils, the altar, the pans, the shovels, the basins, the forks, the fire pans, all its utensils. He made of bronze because they're using them there in that moment of judgment. He made a grated bronze network under the altar. He, under the rim, midway from the bottom, he cast four rings of the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles, and he made the poles of acacia wood, overlaid them with bronze, then he put the poles into the rings on the side of the altar with which to bear it. He made the altar hollow with boards. He made the laver of bronze and its base of bronze. From the bronze mirrors of the serving women, he assembled the, the door of the tabernacle meeting. So the bronze laver, all that's part of the judgment process as you come through the altar and into the washing off of the blood. We talked about that, didn't we? How they filled the bottom of that with mirrors. And how when the priest would get over there all bloody, he would look and see his own reflection until he washed his hands 
And then the blood would fill the water and he no longer saw his reflection. He would see the blood of the sacrifice that he had just performed. And that's how God does with us, right? Here we are open without a covering. And then once the blood's applied, that's what he sees instead of, instead of us. Uh, the law made nobody perfect, the Bible says. It couldn't perfect us. But Christ did. Not because of our works, but because of his covering. He made the, uh, then he made the court on the south side. The hangings of the court were of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long. There were 20 pillars for them, then 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars of their bands were silver. On, there's that redemption. On the north side of the hangings were 100 cubits and the 20 pillars and their 20 uh, bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and the bands were silver. So you got judgment and redemption, right? We see that in Christ. We see that with us. And on the west side of, the, of there were hangings of 50 cubits, 10 pillars and 10 sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their uh, bands were silver. Again, there's that redemption. Well, the east side of the hangings were 50 cubits. The hangings on one side the gate were 15 cubits long with their three pillars and their three sockets. And the same for the other side of the court. The gate on the other side were hangings of 15 cubits. There were three pillars and three sockets. And the hangings of the court all around were of the woven linen. Now I think I read somewhere where it talks about how all these dimensions added up to 1,500. Which will make sense, right? We got the the new Jerusalem coming down is fifteen hundred. You also got the law that extended for about fifteen hundred years. So all this is God's precise about everything. I'm sure you all read about numerology and things. And I know people get in the flesh and run that stuff, but there there's nothing uh, nothing that God does is not specific about. So when He uses numbers. Words, letters, he's, he, he, there's purpose behind all that. And all the hangings of the court all around them were woven linen. The sockets and the pillars were bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. And the overlay of the capital uh, was silver. And the pillars of the court had bands of silver. So redemption's showing up all around, right? You got gold right on these pieces of furniture that represents God. But you got redemption all around this tabernacle. Speaks volumes, don't it? How much silver is being used? Redemption, redemption, redemption. Don't matter where you've been, what you've done, no matter which side of the tabernacle you're on, you're going to see some silver. Because it's redeeming. Doesn't matter if you're in a hospital, doesn't matter if you're in the ghetto, doesn't matter if you're in Vietnam, doesn't matter if you're on the job, at the house, wherever you're at, you're going to see redemption. Where sin abounds, grace does more. And you see that bronze, right? On these, but you see that silver rising above it, offering redemption. And he says, uh, The screen of the gate of the court was woven blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and the woven linen. The length of it was 20 cubits. The height along the side were five cubits, corresponding to the hangings of the court. And there were four pillars with their four sockets of bronze. Their hooks were silver. The overlay of their capitals and their bands were silver. All the pegs of the tabernacle and the court all around were bronze. This is the inventory. We deserve judgment. We should have got judgment. But God's offering us silver. He's offering us redemption. 
This is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle testimony, which was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, son of Aaron the priest, Bezalel, the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, made all the Lord had commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of Ashamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, a weaver of blue, purple, scarlet thread, and fine linens. You know, they beat that gold so fine that they sewed the garments with. They made thread out of gold. It's really amazing. They beat it so fine. And how long did it take somebody to do that to where they could sew on the high priest's garment? Uh, all, the all of the gold that was used in all the work of the holy place, that is the gold of the offering, was 29 talents, 730 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary and the silver from those who were numbered of the congregation was 100 talents, 1,775 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And, and because of each man and the half the shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above, 603,550 men, and from the hundred talents of the silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil, one hundred sockets from the hundred talents, one talent for each socket. Then from 1,775 shekels he made hooks for the pillars, overlaid their capitals, and made bands for them. So silver was showing up all over the place. Redemption, redemption. The offering of the bronze was 70 talents, 2,400 shekels. He made the sockets for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the bronze altar, the bronze grating for it, the utensils for the altar, the sockets for the court all around, the bases for the court gate, and the pegs for the tabernacle, and all the pegs for the court all around it. So as he's... Then we got this priest, the high priest and the priesthood coming up, and all their garments, and how that all these same colors and same pieces of material are used of the blue, purple, scarlet thread, the made garments of ministry, ministering for the holy place, made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. So, you know, when you think about giving, all these people were given over and above, way above their tithe. I mean, they're, they were probably bringing stuff that was precious to them, bringing it all into uh, God's house. <clears throat> I just, I, I say to Christians, you, you don't, do you really want to stand by the stand in front of the Lord and say, "Well, we spent all our money on ourselves and our family and our own stuff"? You don't really want to talk to God about that. I want. I think we all want to say, "Hey, we were all in," you know. And this is not a message on giving. I'm not going to take up an offering or nothing. But it just you think about that, right? Think about everything we have's come from God, hasn't it? We got to be in on what He's doing. Right? I mean, wh whether it's something we do here locally or in Africa, Israel, we do all that. We do all that stuff here. Uh, you don't want to get to heaven and God say, I was looking at your check register here. And you've done everything you wanted to do. And you didn't do nothing with me. So we don't want, we don't want to do that. Remember Haggai? The Bible says in Haggai, said you guys are putting money in your pockets with holes in it because you won't, you won't attend to me, basically. And if you read 
what Israel was doing, they were leaving the tabernacle desolate. They didn't want to get involved in helping erect that and get And so God was speaking to the prophet through them. And if you go back to Israel during that time, they were very wealthy. A lot of them had vacation homes in other places, even back in the time of Haggai. They had vacation homes, and God was saying to them, you guys are doing your thing, having a big time, but you're leaving my house over here desolate. You heard that story? Uh, the $50 bill and the $20 bill and the dollar bill talking. And the $50 bill, they said, they were all having this conversation. They said, the $50 bill said, what do you do all the time? He said, well, I go to some nice restaurants and uh, sometimes I go to the theater and, uh, and uh, the $20 bill, they said, what do you do all the time? And he said, well, mostly I go to the store, Walmart, and I just, I just go to the store. And they, they said, I asked the $1 bill, they said, what do you do? He said, church, church, church. <laughs> I just go to church. So I'll just leave you with that. <laughs> so... so <clears throat> So in 39, he, he talks about these garments for Aaron, the blue to purple. Uh, verse 2 says, He made the ephod gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine woven linen. And, and they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads. That's what I was talking about earlier. To work it with blue, purple, scarlet thread, and fine linen. So you think about gold being used to uh, sew with. They made shoulder straps for it to couple it together. Uh, the ephod, this is what he wore right here. And he covered together two edge, edges and the intricately woven band of his ephod that was on it was the same workmanship woven of gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread, and the fine woven linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. So he had a pouch here as well. And he had the, we don't know a whole lot about this, but he carried the Urim Thummim in, in his pouch. And, and what they think they know is that on the temple floor that he would go in and there were two stones, they believe, with Hebrew letters on them. And they would be praying. Of course, they would pray. It was like casting lots. They prayed first. They didn't just cast lots or whatever. They prayed and sought the Holy Spirit and asked for direction. Uh, it's kind of like Gideon, right? He wanted to know that he knew that he knew. So he kept putting the fleece out, right? And uh, I don't think there's nothing wrong with us wanting to know the will of God. Nothing. And as we grow, obviously... We go through stages, but at some, some point we want to get out there where God can just speak to us and, you know, as we grow. But there's nothing, I don't think God's offended by us wanting to make sure we're in His will. There's nothing, I mean, that's beautiful, I think. So, but anyway, they, would, they said that what they do know, they think they know, that they would cast those stones after seeking the Lord and it would spell out His will some kind of way. Which gives you why the Ouija board is a, a counterfeit of that, right? We got that Ouija board that actually made a comeback a few years ago. It's kind of like it lost its, but it's come back because this country we're in is so enamored with witchcraft and and the supernatural and all that, and Hollywood's, you know, and all that. So the the Ouija board is probably a imitation of something that they did with the Urim Thummim because that Ouija board is... A dark thing that some of you've probably heard some situations where demonic things happened around that, right? Because that's basically what they're doing uh, when they use those Ouija boards is that they're uh, uh, because of trying to find out something in the 
and the dark side. So these guys had this pouch on this Urim thumb and they carried here, uh, or, or had the Urim thumb and in the pouch. Uh, and it says, uh, and the intricately woven band of his ephod was the same workmanship, woven of gold, blue, purple. Am I running out of time? Almost. And scarlet thread of fine woven linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold. They were engraved as signets are engraved with the names of the sons of Israel. He put them on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the, Jesus bears us on himself. And that's typified here uh, with this high priest. And he made the breastplate artistically woven like the workmanship of the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine woven linen. And they made the breastplate uh, square of doubling it, and span was its length, span with its width doubled. And they set in four rows of stones, a row with sardis, topaz, emerald, and the first row, second row with turquoise, sapphire, and diamond, third row with jacinth, agate, and the amethyst, and the fourth row of beryl, and onyx, and jasper. Uh, they were enclosed in settings of gold, and the mountings, they were the twelve stones according to the names of the sons of Israel. According to their names engraved like a signet, each one with its own name according to the twelve tribes. And they made chains of the breastplate with the ends and braided cords of pure gold. They also made two settings of gold, two gold rings. They put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate that they put on the two braided chains of the gold two rings the ends of the breastplate, two ends of the two braided chains fastened to the settings to put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in front that they made two rings of gold and put them on two ends of the breastplate. The edge of, was on the inward side of the ephod. They made two other gold rings, put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward the right seam, intricately woven on his ephod and the, bound the breastplate by means of rings. And the rings of the ephod were blue cord and we were above the intricately woven band of ephod that the breastplate would not come loose from the ephod as the Lord commanded Moses. So, not only does God bear their names on his shoulders, but he's teaching us how we're on his heart as well. His people are on his heart and he's willing to carry us. It's a beautiful thing. Now, I'm reading a guy who's a very intelligent guy. He's dead. He was around the 1800s. The reason I'm reading him is because another dead fella, who's probably the smartest Hebrew scholar I know, read him. He mentioned him. As soon as he mentioned him, I said, I'm going to get that book. Did you know, I'll leave you with this before I close. Did you know, we'll come back and finish Exodus next week. Did you know... That 36 of the 39 symbols that belong to Israel are found in Europe. When these tribes lost their identity, quote unquote, they weren't lost to God. They just kind of disappeared for a season. A lot of things changed in Europe. They believed Paul was in Glastonbury. Just a lot of stuff went on in that area. Europe is where America was birth basically we came out of there and uh, chief of which is the line that belongs to England the line 
that belongs to the tribe of Judah. And I've not got to the bottom of this, but I've got the book to get to the bottom of it. He's arguing that that's why that monarchy still exists. Because of the promise that God gave to David in the natural and the spiritual. That he would never fail to have a man on a throne. So I figured I'd just give you something to think about. Nothing to do with your salvation, per se. <laughs> and then next week I'll tell you who Melchizedek is. No, <laughs> no, no. no I'm just teasing. So, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we've had together. Thank you for how much redemption and mercy and sacrifice that we see in this book of Exodus. And how that it speaks to us about your love for us. How you want to bear us up on eagle's wings and bear us on your own shoulders and on your own heart. And how that deity took on flesh and took our place. We praise you for that. And may we never forget it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.